0: Welcome to the American Duchess Podcast. We want to give a big shout out to Dandy Wellington for his generosity in letting us use his music, Greenhouse Stop, in each episode. You can find Dandy on YouTube, Instagram, Spotify, and iTunes, as well as performing in New York City almost every night. All right, now let's get on with the show. And that was Dandy Wellington with Greenhouse Stop. I just love that song. We, I just walk around singing that I song all the time. I do too. And then I think of Dandy and then I want to wear nice bright colors and... Heckin' yeah. Live my best dandy life. Hello, welcome to the American <laughs> Duchess Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Lauren Stoll. And I'm the other host, Debbie Cox. And we are here with Michael Karapisch, who is a fantastic portrait artist who also dresses in Victorian clothing. In
1: oldie-timey clothing. Oldie-timey
0: clothing. Yes. Um, wonderful Mancunian fella. So we are going to talk to him. I can, about. Say, I can see you're going, to the accent, the accent. <laughs> I married a Brit. I, it's my it's my kryptonite. So <laughs> <laughs> I married a Brit from the world, so close to home. Yeah. Um. So we're gonna talk to Michael about his art, his mm-hmm. fashion. Yeah. And artistic yeah, dress. Artistic dress. Uh, we're ha- we're kind of like putting together this theme yeah. here for the
1: season yeah. podcast. I'm really enjoying this theme. Yeah. So hi, Michael. Hello. Hello. Hi.
2: Evening or day to you where you are. <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was gonna say it's, it's almost. Basically, it's lunchtime for us, but it's it's evening for you. It's almost bedtime, it actually.
2: Yeah, no, <laughs> not, not quite bedtime, but again. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Michael, we know that you have had some publicity recently, or, hi, or hi. I have, yeah. I it, it might I, be a few I would say Michael
0: rocketed onto the scene. <laughs> he was like, <laughs> yes, hello, here you are." I'm Michael. Yes, yeah, so you got you yeah. got some press, <laughs> um, but please uh, introduce yourself. Tell us. Who yeah. you are,
2: uh, tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Well, yeah. oh, I'm Michael Kurobish, I'm 24, Bang. and I'm an artist that's my job portrait painter. Um, what else am I good at? Oh, yeah, I'm also a pianist, so I play the piano, but I don't show that one off a lot online. Um, but they're my two main trades that I do. I play the piano at grade eight standard, and I'm an artist as well. Oh, and a Victorian, apparently. <laughs>
1: were actually a time traveler as well you just like well, came it. out of yeah. a blue police box and you were like hello world welcome i think we're gonna have yeah. a lot to talk about
0: because i am also an artist yeah. and i also play the piano and i'm sometimes a
1: victorian Ooh. but i'm mm-hmm. mediocre compared to you i'm <laughs> mediocre at all three of those things so so, page. how long have you been working as an artist michael
2: yes um Okay, I'll st- I'll be brief so I don't bore you to death. But I started off painting from a very early age. Um, I was very young. I can't even remember. I've seen old photographs, and I think you're born with something. I'm not saying you're born with a talent, but I think you're you're born with a brain that either works well with maths and things, or with art or things like. That. Do you understand? Yes, um, so well, yes, my, I do. My, my <laughs> <laughs> My parents really encouraged me, and they bought me oil paints when I was about four or five years old. Um, we're not wealthy or anything, I think they just saw a lot of potential, so oil paints are uh, quite expensive. So they bought me the whole thing, and I started painting. I was always the person in the class who was a good artist or drawer. Uh, do you know what I mean by that? You yes, There's always someone in the class yes, who can yes, draw yes. better Go than one. others. That was me. <laughs> and then um, I went into high school, and I had a brilliant art teacher Uh, called Mr Noakes and he taught me everything about oil paint. He's an oil painter himself but not a classical painter. He's more uh, modern in a sense. So he's incredible. I'm still friends with him now and then I went to college. Now college in Britain is um, an extension of what I think you have as high school in America. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Do you go up to the age of 18 in America? Yes. Is that right?
3: Yes.
2: Yeah we call it college. It's two years from when you're 17 and 18. Um, and I got disqualified from art there because they wanted me to do modern painting. By modern, I'm being very broad here. I hope I don't offend people. Oh, I'm, I'm
0: actually teaching. Art school's coming back. So. <laughs>
2: oh, yeah. But that's what no, I'm no, like. So, <laughs> so basically, <laughs> what happened is um, I was painting my traditional oil paintings, not very well, but I was giving it a go. And the art teacher didn't really want to teach. I think she just wanted the wage that came with it. And she wanted everyone doing the same thing. She didn't help anyone or encourage us. And she got everyone painting on newspapers with like, um, with gravy, you know, like browning and stuff. Yes. Really weird stuff. And it was like splattering paint around. And I said, I don't want to do this. So I got angry and wrote her a horrible email. And then I had the dead heads come over to my house when I was in my pyjamas. I didn't let them in. I disconnected the house phone so they won't call. And they didn't go back to college. And then um, I got in a lot of trouble and disqualified from art. So then, but
1: that's so well, artist. I have, of you. A, like that's such an artist thing. Yeah. Like. And <laughs> um,
2: then what I did was I decided to still apply for university without telling them. And they saw my portfolio, and then I, and they took me on. So I ended up doing a degree in fine art, a degree in art history, and also a teaching degree. Now, after my art degree, it put me off. I think if you study something too much, you can ruin it for yourself. So I didn't want to be an artist. I wanted to be a teacher. Became a secondary school teacher, and then realised I'd rather be an artist because I don't like the um, <laughs> I don't like the hard work, like all the paperwork. So I preferred the art idea. So now I so I started in supply teaching after I left that, which is where you substitute for a teacher who's ill and it's regular work. I was always the children's favorite in school, and then I became an artist. And now I paint um, celebrity portraits only. It's exploded, especially due to the articles. So the articles was a sneaky way of me promoting my art without having to pay for advertising. Well done.
0: Advertorial, (laughs) free advertising. this is really interesting, The and, and I know we're going to sort of veer on to here in a sec, but I mean, everything you're saying, I'm like, yeah, I totally relate to that. Um, my degree is in illustration and animation, and the illustrative part of that was incredibly representational, so we were sort of always like at odds with the fine art students on the next floor up because of exactly what you're talking about. I had to take classes where we were painting with beet juice and coffee, <laughs> and I'm like, what yeah. fork is that? <laughs>
3: Yes,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, struggling, struggling I, with that, um, but it's interesting that your business as a portrait painter has exploded because I I see, and I'm sure we can all agree here, our world is absolutely inundated with, with temporal imagery, imagery mm-hmm. that appears and then disappears instantly. It's all digital. There's mm-hmm. nothing real here mm-hmm. anymore. Real media is not Mm-mm. a thing that uh, many artists can't even paint in real media, so to have... A portrait, it's interesting because I think when you have your portrait painted, and I had my portrait painted uh, by an artist I revere recently, and all through the process, I felt very awkward about it because I thought, this is so vain. You know, what am I doing this for? Like, and yet I will click a, I clicked a selfie like 30 minutes ago. Like I will click a selfie well, and post I mean,
1: that on the internet. I'm just saying yeah, I've been experimenting with the concept of self portraiture yeah. and photography and like you by myself. You
0: don't feel awkward about it.
1: Oh, I feel hella awkward about it.
0: Really? Because yeah. like selfies are so, are so common today, but to have your portrait painted in real media and pay a living artist yeah. for something that will last a hundreds and hundreds of years potentially if it's taken care of, uh, has this totally different feeling that goes mm-hmm. with it and I think people are drawn to the reality of a painted portrait yeah and and maybe that's one of the reasons why your business is exploding Michael because and I'm stoked about that because for a long time it looked like real art real media but what I mean by by real I don't mean to say like digital art isn't real I mean to say tangible tangible art uh seemed like it was sort of going the way of traditional animation like disappearing <laughs> So I'm glad to yeah. see, I'm really glad to see that you're, like, kicking butt on this. Mm-hmm. Like, it fills me with Thank joy. <laughs> yes, the
2: aim is to kick butt, as you say. I, mean, I, I held
0: myself to, back. To I, saying.
2: Uh, okay. You know, artists always rebelled. It, you get uh, well, artists who rebelled against traditional art, and I don't see anything wrong with it being the other way around. I can rebel against modern art uh, the way I'm doing it. I'm trying to bring back... One thing uh, that I like to preach a lot is, we seem, not we, as in YouTube, I mean, a lot of people seem to live now, and they're not aware of history. But you think of all those minds that lived throughout the timeline of history. We can't say that everything we have nowadays is the best it's been. They'll naturally be, so aesthetically, for example, um, personally, I think, uh, for example, male clothing. I think male clothing was, reached its peak, in my opinion. In the 19th century and it's i think it's died out a lot since then it that's definitely in my opinion suffered.
1: absolutely i mean i don't disagree yeah. i think we can we can argue 1920s versus 1930s versus 1940s versus 1890s versus 1900 versus 19 teens versus 1880s but i think we can all agree that once the 60s kicked in oh it, yeah.
0: I'm, I'm off the boat once Literally. we get through the, like the mid-40s Like, yeah, goes, so. yeah.
1: <laughs> but, but, sex, but it is absolutely no, i think um I used to talk about this actually a lot at my old job when we were, we would talk about men's clothing, because especially in America, the, the toxic masculinity that is destroying our society, quite frankly, I'm not going to miss part, my words there. It's part of what it's a our lot, of, but yeah. it, you can always go down to it. How men would respond to dressing and that the idea that a man, a manly man would not care about his clothing is is very prevalent in the in the United States culture um, especially in the Midwest and the South where I'm from um, and how that has affected men's fashion because good luck finding anything other than a pair of chinos and a blue polo like if you want to look nice that's the uniform khakis in a blue polo uh. but I, I mean like yeah you're absolutely right for men's fashion the past is definitely a lot better because back then men actually cared about how they looked and they took it as a sign of self-respect. Okay, so so along the lines of, of
0: clothing, um, so when did you decide that dressing in the Victorian fashion uh was the best way to express yourself?
2: Um I can't quite remember. I think I've always been interested in things from the 19th century. Um now People might laugh at me for this. I'm very spiritual. uh, Mm -hmm. And I I don't believe necessarily in past lives, but I'm open to anything. And it's very strange considering my family are Ukrainian, um, very different culture to Western culture. And it doesn't draw me to it. And it's the fact that I grew up with parents that have no interest in history whatsoever. History didn't really surround me. I mean, England's historical, but where I live is a bit of a dump. Uh, no offense to all the people from Stockport, which is where I'm from. So <laughs> yeah. it's, it's not necessarily the most historic town. It's not like York or London or something.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, so, but I naturally, from childhood, liked anything from the Victorian era. And it's just, and I wasn't aware of the Victorian era in a sense. I remember walking past a shop with my mum when I must have been so young, about four or five, and there was a top hat for to sale in the window. And I remember begging my mum to buy it. I said, it looks so nice. And my mum, being Ukrainian, she was like, Oh, you'll not need that. No, no. That. it's rubbish. I like, say it's absolute rubbish. And I said, oh, no, no, I really want that. And um and I, mum bought it for me. And then I, went, I saw a waistcoat once. Mum used to drag me around a lot of shops and like, other And I saw a waistcoat in a shop once. And I liked that. And it was Victorian. And then I saw an oil lamp in a antique shop. Mum didn't buy me the oil lamp, we were <laughs> that oil, but I've got it now. Do you have my oil lamp? Anyway, <laughs> oh, but, with the lantern so, and everything on it. Oh,
3: nice.
2: It's all it all draws me to that period. The music. Um, we used to have loads of CDs at home when when I was growing up in the late 90s, and I used to listen to them, mess around with them. And my favourite was Strauss, the composer uh, Strauss. So I really like 19th century music. It's something that's in me, and I genuinely believe. I went to see um, a lady who deals with past life experiences, where you meditate and you imagine it. And it came out that I, I died some like 1895. It came out. Now I was born in 1995. Really weird. And I was French apparently. So it's uh, I was a French sort of middle class gentleman in the Victorian era apparently, according to this reading. So mm-hmm. it's strange.
0: Well, I believe in past lives, so I'm 100% here for this, Michael. I think a lot Um, of um, people who are into historic dress, and however they come mm -hmm. to that, I was just talking to Chris about this last Mm -hmm. night. Sometimes you just feel this inexplicable draw to a time and a place. Mm -hmm. Mine is the Dutch Golden Age. I have no Dutch heritage. I don't know what it is about that, but there's... It's beyond just, oh, cool clothes, I want mm-hmm. to dress up. Yeah. It's
1: a feeling. It's a weird feeling. Well, there's, um at the Speed Art Museum in Louisville, which is the city where I'm from, there's actually a medieval room. That, it's not medieval, it's probably like Renaissance, like wood paneling, dark 17th century, now that I like the art historian me. But I remember distinctly, like you, Michael, being like four or going going to the Speed Art Museum, and I was always slightly terrified of that room because I fully expected to see people in it like it it, like the the veil (laughs) like being like one of those things where I was drawn to the room I wanted to go into the room but I was terrified of the room when did you officially start
0: the full dressing because it's sometimes for some people it's quite a transition from modern clothes into that and sometimes it's a throw all the clothes out replace everything yeah this is
2: who I am. When did you burn your T-shirt? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I never really um, I never really wore. Oh, it's it's hard. I didn't just wake up one day like Zach Pinson and say I'm gonna burn my jeans, or whatever he did. <laughs> uh, I read in his article. I was a bit more. It was phase. I never considered myself to be a costumer, and still don't. I just see them as see. You know, you get these costume societies and groups, and they they call it costume. I've got nothing against it, but. To me, it's just clothes. It's just I just think yeah. if it looks nice, wear it. But I think I started when I was about 15 or 16. I never really wore jeans or trainers. I always wore trousers um, and shirts because I like them. I think they look smart. I like perfection in the human race. Does that make sense?
0: Do <laughs> you, you <know>? ever find <laughs> it? <laughs> I'm still looking. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs>
2: but uh, no, I know I saw when I started to work. I could afford these clothes. And the first thing I bought was a frock coat from the 1890s. I've still got it. It's my favourite coat. I wore it in my last article with the press. I don't know if you say, it's got this lovely hourglass shape like that. You know, yes. at the hips. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. It. And then, but I didn't really wear it with the uh, winged collar, you know, detachable collars or anything. I just wore it with a scarf. And then I discovered that men wore detachable collars in the Victorian era, which isn't isn't that common knowledge outside of um the, the costuming community. So I didn't know that. And then I discovered it. I bought a load of lovely collars and thought, oh, they look nice. And because I was a teacher at that time, a bit later when I started wearing that, um, I just wore them to school and the children loved it. There was a trend where the children all bought pocket watches just because they wanted to look like me. They called me Mr. K. And yeah, they said, oh, my oh. 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 <laughs> God. So cute. So proud. And it was like a trend. They all, they all bought different pocket watches and things and they'd wear them to school. And the teachers were like, wow, what do you do to the children that they love you so much?
0: That's yeah. amazing. I'm just the time-traveling doctor painter. <laughs> well, that, that's wonderful, because when I was in what we call middle school here, so like this... I 6th, about... 7th, and 8th, so age seven, 11 eight. to 14, basically. Yeah. There was a teacher who he had to have been a reenactor. I've talked about him before, Mr. Harris. And when he did the Western American uh, history units, he would decorate the inside of his room like a, like a saloon, wood paneling, <laughs> and, and Animal parts and stuff on the walls. That sounded weird. And he would dress as a as Nevada, a, a Rough Rider, um, yeah. like Teddy Roosevelt. He was not my teacher. I had Mrs. Hines, bless her heart, but she just couldn't compete. And so I was down there at Mr. Harris Harris's class uh, classroom before my class started every morning, just being in his room, just soaking that all in, and it it made this massive impact on me, just his existence. Uh, that led to probably the very strange, weird w- way that I, what I did with my life. <laughs> like, thanks, Mr. Harris. So you're influencing whether you, even, yeah, I mean, you do realize that you're influencing so many little babies who are going to go on and they're going to,
1: they're going to dress like you, man, or they're going to go find their own mm-hmm. kind of path. Yeah. They're going to be confident in knowing that they can embrace their inner eccentric self, again, calling back, our old episode with Zach and and being comfortable being like, I want to wear a pocket watch or maybe I do want to wear a waistcoat or maybe I don't want to wear pants and that's okay. Yeah. Um, You know, going into that whole thing and and having you as an example, embracing yourself and what you like and what makes you happy is leading by, by a wonderful example. You're a role model. Yeah. You're all of these things. That's really, Oh, how exciting. So we talked about this earlier off camera, but so you've been wearing Victorian-esque, you know, at the best you could at your age, and like always, kind of leaning towards this Victoriana feel to your to your wardrobe. And we have a couple episodes that we recorded with Rob, Dr. Robin Calvert, who those episodes have come out before this one because obviously this is just a delightful package <laughs> about the concept of artistic dress in yeah. British art schools. She was talking about how her students now don't feel like there's artistic dress anymore because social media has basically gotten rid of subcultures. And that, you know, to be goth isn't that unique anymore. To be punk isn't unique anymore. You can find tons of goth and punks on the internet. And it was either you or me that went, they should just start dressing in Victorian clothes. Ha ha! Fair flip. (laughs) And now, then you came out. And, and you had your publicity, and you were actually literally what we were describing, that you went to a British art school. You didn't go to Glasgow. You went to, to Manchester?
2: Manchester School of Arts, yes.
1: Yeah. And and you dress this way. You have always dressed this way. And I just love how we go from, like, Margaret MacDonald and Charles Rennie McIntosh with their floppy bow ties and their embroidered collars, and now we have you... It's like going backwards. It's kind of like you say, you rebelled against the modern art and now you're by going back looking into by the past. looking into the past. And so you're embracing... Art. It's like artistic dress by going backwards. Well, do you feel that... I mean, obviously you're interested in, in classical
0: painting, um, 19th century art. Do you feel that your fashion is connected to your art, that they kind of go together oh. or are they separate things?
2: Absolutely. Um, because I'm an artist, I don't just wear this for... Um, for for pleasure it's also a brand I'm branding myself if I look if if my artwork's Victorian and someone wants my painters cost a fortune and if someone wants to I'm not bragging there. I have to explain that if if someone wants to commission an expensive portrait the last thing they want is the artist turning up wearing a tracksuit like (laughs) half woken up with bloodshot eyes going oh yeah okay I just stand over there you know what I mean I'd hate that it's part of the experience Mm -hmm. so when I turn up to my sittings I wear full proper dress how I should and I'm, I'm very well, I speak better when I um, when I have my sit I try and be well-spoken, polite, and that's generally part of the image. They're not just buying a portrait, they're buying into me and who I am as a brand. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. But the fashion isn't all an act. You do, the, it is you. You mm-hmm. are, oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, you are into yeah, this, you are God. enjoying it. Yeah. yeah, it's not a costume, it's clothing. Yeah,
2: exactly. Exactly. I hate it when people call it costume. Yeah, sorry, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to so many people in the costume community, but it's clothing, and all my clothes are pretty much original. Most, most of, that's another thing. I don't reproduce clothes, not that I'm against that at all. I don't insult you. Everybody
0: kind of does their own thing here. Yeah. Um, for instance, yeah. I'm a historic costumer, I yes. like to make oldie timey clothes, the clothes that I wear on a daily basis. Are mostly vintage repro, you mm-hmm. know, or I have a couple of vintage pieces, but I tend not to wear them that much. But I have a vintage style. These are my clothes. I am not wearing a costume, but when yeah. I have a costume on, it's a costume. Like I'm not, I don't yeah. wear 18th century clothes like every day. Like it's, it's not my like, deal. like Nicole and I used to. When you're in costume, and the more that you do it, the more yourself that you feel. But when you first start dressing in mm-hmm. costumes, not just clothing, costumes. You act differently, maybe you're playing a character, maybe, mm-hmm. you know, you go to a renaissance fair and you speak in a in mocky good accent day. and, you know... <laughs> good uh, yeah, good day, huzzah. You're not yeah. being yourself. You don't walk the same way, you don't feel the same. At some point, it shifts. If you wear that kind of stuff all the time, it does shift from being a special thing that you put on to mm-hmm. the expression of yourself. If you love what we do and want to be a part of the American Duchess community, consider becoming a patron over on our Patreon page. We've got perks like early access to podcasts and videos, monthly coupon codes and patterns, a private Facebook group, and swag too. We love our patrons and can't wait for you to join us. Now, back to the show.
1: So you enjoy (laughs) dressing in Victorian clothing. Um, You are practicing artistic dress. So cool. By being Victorian, and I love this. But with that, you are a 21st man, 21st century man living in the 21st century world. The articles that have come out about you, they don't always tell the whole story. How do you feel about trying to differentiate yourself from the Victorian era with its morals and mores and social and, soul, and issues. etiquette issues? And there are some big issues in that era versus just enjoying the aesthetic of the time period.
2: Yeah. Okay. Um, well, of course, first thing you mentioned, yeah, I'm not a Victorian. People seem to think I think I'm a Victorian and I'm ignoring the fact we're in the 21st century. I don't reject anything. I don't reject everything from the 21st century. Like I mentioned brief, uh, briefly, like I mentioned before, I see the timeline of history as a place where I can pick and choose, like a pick and mix. Mm-hmm. I don't just follow the... T- if I, th- if I look at a time of history and this fashion is my favourite and 19th century art is my favourite, fair enough, that's what I'll go with. My bedroom isn't Victorian, as you can see, it's Georgian uh, the <laughs> style. Victorians were more about wallpapers, the arts and crafts movement, uh, clutter, all that. This is fresh, <laughs> symmetrical, Baroque sort of... Well, not Baroque. I've, done, I've placed it around the year seventeen ninety. Yeah, 1790.
1: Not like neoclassical, like Robert Adams yeah,
2: neo- style. That appeals more to me than that um, Victorian clutter. No offence to the Victorians. But no, but it's, it's true just, though.
1: They're yeah, all dead.
2: They're not going to take offense. <laughs> exactly. I'm not a fan of mess and clutter. So I don't like decor from the Victorian era. I like Georgian decor. Um, so it's that sort of thing. M- music too. I'm open to music from the 18th century, 17th century, 9th century, anything. I like ABBA. Nothing wrong with yeah. ABBA. You know what I mean? I love ABBA. I'm there on my piano, like doing, like singing money, 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 loving it. And, uh, and it's not Victorian. But there's nothing wrong with that. That and I pick and choose. So I've gone on a tangent. What was the question? No,
0: you're, <laughs> you're, 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 you're right going. on it. Um, I I love what you're saying because it's. I often feel that way too about fashion history. Is like a pick and mix. We get to choose mm-hmm. all the best bits. They don't even have to be put. You know, together, together all from the same time period. Like here's some 1920s shoes with a 1940s hat. I think I'll
1: wear a three piece suit today. Whatever. Let's let's move on to portraiture because we have a portrait artist uh, here, Michael, you. Um, and obviously you're you're not you're new to, to our community, um, but because you dress in in the Victorian era clothing, in the originals that you you acquire, you have automatically been thrown into this group of of mostly Ravenclaws, by the way. <laughs> Griffin claw. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but something we You're see, a Harry a lot
2: Potter fan, of people,
1: she is, uh, yes, I she am. is. Uh, by the okay. way, 50% of historical costumers are Ravenclaws. Um, I have scientific proof of this. Something we see a lot from people who are not art historians or not artists is when they're when someone's trying to use a portrait as a place of reference for the creation of their historical costumes or clothing, and People, and it's a bit weird, it's a bit unusual, you know, maybe it's it's a different cut than what they normally see, or it's just a more interesting portrait. People automatically try to, to reject it by saying, artists just made it up. Artistic license. Artistic license, which drives me insane. Uh, but it, we see it a lot. And even though as we can get in there and say, like, guys, that's not how this works, like, that's not how art works, especially pre 19th century like anything before Baudelaire and Impressionism it was not that way like we yes artists did try to paint from memory it didn't go well artistic license from that period and, and
0: this is my opinion is improving the pose yeah you know you see these really romantic Finishing poses. The blemishes. yeah you 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 know I brush out people you know adjusting the nose a little bit because you definitely always need to be flatter your your sitter you know, no no collarbones for right. But when it comes to clothing <laughs> and reference, and and chime in here at any at any point, reference is king. It was all it was absolutely drilled into us like get reference, get reference, get reference. Because if you don't have reference, it's really obvious, like you just said. Yeah. Changing the color of something, you know, oh that silk sash was blue. I'm gonna paint it red. Um, depending on the artist, that's that can be a little challenging or it could be really easy because you're dealing with like tones and stuff but as far as like making up complete suits of clothing mm-hmm. it's not that simple no what do you think about this michael
2: no it's not simple at all um oh I- i've got a few secrets about commissions where like the sitter didn't sit long enough or well enough or didn't wear the right clothes i had to get my brother to pose in similar clothing that I had to make up over the top. Does that make sense?
3: Yes. I can't reveal who
2: they are because these are celebrity commissions. But um, but I've had this problem before where I've had to make up the clothes a bit and it just doesn't work. So you, I've got to basically buy the suit or the, or the dress or whatever and have it positioned in my studio to work from. So it's pretty impossible to make it up and make it accurate, as Abby was saying, yeah. Yeah,
0: there's but, also the... Yeah conception so let's say you're let's say you're a portrait artist in 1750
1: i was like he is a portrait artist in
0: in 1750 right and you're gonna make up some clothing you only have the reference of 1750 and what came before how exactly are you going to just no matter
1: even if you did make it up, it's still gonna look like the clothing of your time period. Does yeah. that make sense? That's a, like you can't get too far forward in the future. You see this actually in like the Victorian and Edwardian postcards where they're like life in the 2000s and people look just like Victoria, Victorian, people like they're just flying around in in like massive balloons or they or they made the clothing out of like silver, silver taffeta or something, yeah, like but they're still yeah. in that curvy yeah 1890s silhouette yeah with 1890s hair so so as a portrait artist you you use your references what because you kind of mentioned this in your ideal situation like if you could have your sitter at your disposal for as long as you need and you're not dealing with modern celebrity schedules and kind of trying to work because that is actually a problem that, that you're obviously dealing with is that you're dealing with modern people who don't understand how portrait art works and you're trying to make it work within that within the modern world like what is your ideal situation for a portrait as a portrait painter
2: oh i don't know i would prefer to paint from life than photographs and have a long sitting just a patient person someone who actually appreciates art and my favorite thing that's lacking in modern portraiture is the drapery the fashion mm-hmm. there's no drama in clothing anymore mm-hmm. and, and i say that boldly there will be dresses out there that people think have drama they don't compared to the victorian bustle or mm-hmm. um you know the bustle dresses where they're draped on the front mm-hmm. or anything like that um there's there's so much fabric and silks and things like that nowadays people turn up for a portrait some don't even know i have to tell people now when they turn up for a sitting they have to wear their best
1: yeah, yeah best dress so and that's your idea how long do you need
2: um takes me about four to five months to paint a portrait but that's doing it in the evenings and things occasionally if i was to do it in hours i could probably paint a portrait in about 120 hours
1: would you like a silk sack or a portrait take your pick uh,
0: i'll take the sack and then get painted excellent plan <laughs> then i'll have my portrait So that, that goes back to the artistic license as well as you have people showing up for their portraits in any time period, wearing their best dress, mm-hmm. wearing their, their maybe it was something that had significance, it was worn for a ball or a formal event, or it's just their most kick-ass like worth gown. Mm-hmm. For the artist to then go and just make something up on top of that as a sitter, you would
1: be really pissed off. <laughs> yes, this actually ties into another point that I've made before from uh, uh, a dress historian, and an art historian perspective. The concept of art for art's sake, and we've talked about this, but painters, artists were apprenticed, especially if you were a portrait artist like Jan van Eyck and, and Holbein, you know, Vijay Lebron learned from her father. It was through usually a actual very traditional apprenticeship program, which is a trait. It's no different than being a tailor or being a, a seamstress or a wheelwright or a carpenter. It was a trade just like anything else. The difference is, is with, with artists, is it was very easy to move up, move up socially because you, you inter, inter, interacted with the higher social circles because of the trade that you did. And, and as a portrait artist, I think, in my opinion, I don't know if you would agree with me, you are, again, it's going back further, where you're not just throwing paint on a canvas for the sake of expressing your fifis. You're, you're applying scientific tools and skill sets that you had to learn and develop over a long period of time through educational programs. thousand <laughs> bad drawings. <laughs> to be able to even like do it a little bit, Right.
2: Yeah, I don't vent. sort of it. I don't express my feelings at all in my artwork. There's no emotion at all. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's purely a craft. Um, if I don't know what would happen. If I, if you told me to, if you gave me a bucket of paint said, so express your emotions to paint on a canvas, I'd probably throw the bucket of paint at the canvas. <laughs> For me, I, there's no expression. I um, don't know if I should say, but I don't really necessarily enjoy it as much as I should. Uh, I do it because I'm good at it. Mm -hmm. I have passion in my music. When I'm writing music and when I'm playing music, I have passion there. So I know what it is to have passion for an art form. With painting, it was always, always destroyed by teachers and lecturers and Mm -hmm. people who studied with me. And I was destroyed so much through my art that I was just left with a skill but no passion for it. In fact, if anything, I have anger when I paint because... I create these grand pieces and all I'm doing
3: is
2: (laughs) rebelling against all those artists who put me down, whose work is the opposite of what I do. So, and I was never taught, I say my art teacher at high school taught me, he supported me, but actually I'm self-taught. Every technique, lighting, composition came from me studying historical artworks and reading books. And now people are getting very jealous of what I've achieved, but actually I've done it all off my own back with a lot of stress. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, absolutely. There's a, very big difference between society portraits done for money and mm-hmm. the expression uh i'm i'm thinking of uh, john Seeker Sargent. Mm. the met yeah. has a whole room of sergeant if you read about how sergeant felt about painting certain portraits it's it's very interesting the stories and, and they're beautiful they're absolutely gorgeous but you could tell and Several of, about talk about, yeah. several of my art teachers also said this too. You can tell when the painter didn't really want to do or didn't really like the sitter mm-hmm. and when they were a little bit in love with the sitter. Not not like relationship sexual love, but they enjoy you'll the know sitter. this, Michael. There's always a little bit, there's like the eye or the nose or the eyebrow or something where you just like, this is the most beautiful eye. You, you fall a little bit in love with some part of it. It's not about the sitter. It's about the art. But there's a big difference between painting something for money
3: mm-hmm.
0: as a technician and Sargent's other paintings where he's traveling and he's in Morocco and he's doing these watercolors. And boy, you can tell he was enjoying that because he was painting for himself, mm-hmm. not for the money. Mm-hmm. It's so different. I've worked as an illustrator doing product design and commissions, and it absolutely destroyed my enjoyment of art. Mm-hmm. For a very long time, yeah. And mm-hmm. even now, I get a little stressed out when I'm traveling and I sit sit down to do a watercolor. I get a mm-hmm. little bit stressed out about it because of exactly what you're talking about, Michael. That sort of it's. It, this isn't a nice thing to talk about. It's people are like, oh yeah, I want to be an artist. I'm like, well, anytime you make your passion your job, I'm struggling with this now. In fact, mm-hmm. anytime you make your passion your job, you're going to lose that passion you're going to lose some of that passion mm-hmm. maybe all of that passion it's hard to get it back so it's not always sunshine and rainbows to make your hobby or something that you love into into your work mm-hmm. as the that's my experience and it sounds like it's a little bit of your experience too
2: absolutely absolutely yeah.
1: wow. nice. <laughs> 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 On that you know, we have one more question at the end i'm gonna uh, put this man what? on the spot just the button question <laughs> okay go on yeah, he's, he's Are you ready? He's like, you scared? No, I'm just kidding. I think I already know his answer to this. I think I do too, but maybe he has to think about it. Let him think on it. Give him a chance. Would you rather paint a lady in a bustle gown, or a lady in an 18th century sack or like a robe à oh, la française? Bustle gown. Bustle gown. <laughs> of course. Not, not even with the like big drapey pleats in no. the back. No. Too
2: angular, too angular. Are you talking about those 18th century wide-hipped yes. uh, monster-like no, too many <laughs> angles. I don't like geometry in painting. I like flow. But what about
0: the bustle angle bustle yeah. out the back? That booty 1880s. I do
2: like a singer-sergeant style, so with a bustle at least you can no, no. <laughs> I don't even have to explain it. There's just so much more flow and fabric. and. Okay. Well, not more fabric but
0: on an, art- more fabric on an
2: artistic level stuff. i always use down lights when i paint and like you know from the, that angle
1: mm-hmm. i think
2: the 18th century dresses what are they called again a sa-
1: robes on the front say a- or sack yeah
2: yeah they're a bit flat on the front flat around but they've got the shape
1: mm-hmm. whereas a
2: bustle usually they not all that probably you're gonna kill me for <laughs> this my experience. There's a lot more fabric folding, especially when it's draped around the front. You've got frills and tassels and so, so from an artistic perspective,
0: a little different, a more but there. the skirts, absolutely, for bustles. It's, it's yeah. very interesting how you came at that about mm-hmm. you instantly went to thinking about how you would like that and from what angle and how the forms, because mm-hmm. it all comes back to shapes, shapes, simple shapes, how the forms would look under that certain types of of lighting, that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Whereas we're just like fabric, frills, frills lace.
1: Yeah. But of course, there's fabric frills and lace in both of those there examples. All right, so let's bring it down even even more specific. 1870s bustles versus 1880s bustles. Go.
0: Oh, that's very. I don't. Do you, I don't know if. I don't. I don't know if do you know the difference. Like, <laughs> in ladies' dress, ten years yeah. apart. Come on, man.
1: Like, uh,
2: you, that's need so hard. Ask, you need to ask. To Charlotte. Okay. Do in do my so? article. I, i don't wear bustles personally ladies
1: (laughs) not yet (laughs) okay so yeah tiso versus sergeant let's say that
0: that's a hard one tiso versus sergeant
2: uh i prefer sergeant
0: (laughs) good man i mean i love them both they are very different i think i like tiso better tiso painted fashion more precisely Mm -hmm.
1: So, Michael, this has been an amazing conversation. Yes, we are awesome. I, I <laughs> can see you lighting up I
0: like when you talking to like, What art is art. Art.
1: art? Well, Michael, this has been the best. I've had a great yeah. time. Like,
0: talking about art and self-expression and fashion. It's been a real pleasure getting to know mm-hmm. you better. And uh, we hope to see lots and lots and lots more from you, your beautiful yes. art. Please, like, get out there and take pictures yeah. of your fantastic outfits, like, don't deprive us of yeah of you
1: yeah don't and if you ever need a Cute. female sitter to practice bustle dress portraiture let me know or me know or her no or her no <laughs> <Her know. Her laughs> you know. just saying I we're really volunteers <laughs> we've also, also done, done artist thing. modeling before <laughs> yeah that's true. that's true
0: long long sittings too like three three four hours yeah, oh, wow. multiple sittings so yeah yeah okay well oh, Michael, that was that was wonderful was awesome. um thank you so much
2: yeah. thank you both that was really lovely thank you so much yes anytime <laughs> all right
1: and um michael can you tell people where they can find you
2: yes i'm on um instagram michael underscore Karupish. i'm sure my name will be written somewhere underscore <laughs> artist so that's instagram and then uh, my website's Michaelcroppish.com.
1: Uh, again, Michael, thank you so much for joining us. It has been a pleasure, and I'm so glad that you you we were able to get you on the show. And for all of you all listening at home, you can find us on AmericanDentist.com, bloggedonAmericanDentist.com. We are also on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and um, if you're watching this on YouTube, shockingly, YouTube. Smash that subscribe button. Smash I said it. was like the first time I've ever said that. Smash it. Ah, please don't smash, smash, it. smash it. Don't be so hard on YouTube. Smash it indeed. Just totally <laughs> tap it. Double tap. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, if you enjoyed what you've listened to or watched, leave us a review. Um, on YouTube, if you have any comments, leave them below. We'll do our best to answer them. And until then, uh, have a good one, everyone. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.